Miro, Miro, Miro. How do you produce, pronounce your better? Do you <laughs> I was, care? I always remember the woman who yelled at us. You remember yeah. after, at that after concert? <laughs> Why she yelled at us? Because we were saying it, Miro. Oh. Yeah, remember? And so she came up and shaking her fist. She's Catalonian. Yeah. And how oh, she say Catalan. Catalan. Is that what it, the root is? So it should be Miro. Right. No, there's an accent on the whole. Oh, oh. No, but she was yelling. She was like, "It's me, bro." Yeah. Oh, I think she might have been crazy. Cut. There is a reputation. Cut that. Yeah. <laughs> might have to bleep that. Well, yeah. So let's just go around the name. Daniel and instrument. Violin. Violin. Uh, Will. Violin. John Viola and Josh the chest. You're sitting. Is this the plain order? No. 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 Okay. We're in, yeah. score, we're in score order. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Score order. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How do you usually arrange yourselves? Uh, I sit over there. Okay. Josh and I. Basically oh, so you, you do yeah. first and second. Yeah. We the do. old way, the old fashioned way. That's true. Way. It's the 19th century old, old way. way. Yes. Yeah. Beethoven used to write specifically. That's correct. Yeah. People yes. think it's new. It's not or new. Avant garde oh, or yeah. something. And it's, well. It's erudite, that's for sure. You oh. know, you know what you're. Yes. Back doing. to the beginning. That's right. The circle. It actually so, solved some some problems that we had in the quartet too, just as far as like mm. oral issues mm. in the group, and and that the right. se- seating seems to work really well. It provides a really nice kind of stereo balance to the two violin parts, okay. as opposed to sometimes the second violin kind of being occluded or far back behind the first violin, audio right orally. And then we, um, it's nice for the two of us because we're right beside each other. Right. Versus when you have to try and hear a cross through the cello. We have to actually Mm -hmm. up and change the way we play. Right. Which makes things harder for, often for the voicing for him. Mm -hmm. And clarity for you too, because then you have to balance differently. Right. So. Yeah. The listening thing is something I really like to explore. I sing in over 60 operas with San Diego Opera Mm -hmm. in the chorus. So there's listening in a chorus. There's listening in an orchestra, in a chamber group, and then there's listening as an audience member. Right. And how do you, do you have a listening technique? Like, do you soften your focus? What, is that even possible? I mean, some of it's trial and error. We, Uh We do a lot of rehearsing where we send people away from the group maybe the least important part at that moment, uh, we send out into a hall Mm -hmm. to listen to how the balance is working so we get a feel for what it sounds like. What we hear on stage is never what is projecting to the audience. Um, So some of it's feel, some of it's just kind of understanding how the parts project. um, It's different registers of each instrument. I I think we, we put a lot of emphasis on listening to everything except the tune. You know, I right. think a lot yes. of ears go there, yeah. but I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think that's I what I meant by do you soften your focus, like we, of, we do. But I mean, it, I think yeah. we do pay special attention to inner mm-hmm. mechanisms and uh, things that normally an audience right. might not gravitate toward. Okay. We were hoping that that actually brings out right. something for the listeners, so they're not always listening to just the tune. Well, and I, I would add that I, each one of us is always listening a little bit differently than the others mm-hmm. because of Hopefully. where we are, what our role is, what our function is. Right. And so I might be focused more on Josh's part with a little bit of these, but John might be more focused on my part. Okay. A little bit of the others. And it, it really, it, it can fluctuate very, very quickly in right. the dynamics of the quartet. Right. Because I've been speaking to some brass players. They talk about the trumpeter who listens 
down and the mm-hmm. trumpeter who makes everyone listen up. Mm-hmm. And right. and uh, they all prefer the trumpeter who listens down right. for tuning. Hmm. Um, and it sounds like it's not quite as clear cut in a quartet. Often in our rehearsals, we'll discuss different ways of listening or different parts of the four to sort of make the leader or the priority, not always the tune, Mm -hmm. and try different ways of sort of organizing or listening to the score. And that's something that we end up we end up discovering a lot about the music that way. We certainly don't only do it one way all the time for Mm -hmm. every piece. And some parts, some different pieces benefit more from focus in different ways. Right. And sometimes actually we'll find that just making another part more important than we thought it was in another mm-hmm. playthrough will change everything that was right. going to be difficult before. And I would assume it changes a little bit each time you come back to a piece. That's true. Yeah. We don't always do things. We, we play we play our pieces quite a lot. We'll tour something over the season mm-hmm. and play it tens of times. Um, and for us, discovering it new on stage every time is pretty great. Right. So some of our more interesting, at least for me, like experiences of listening come on stage in a concert when we're sort of letting go of what we rehearsed and are discovering a little something mm. spontaneous, new, right. you know, in the moment. Yeah, and you that's you can't plan that. No. Or right think no. it. Like it's just a, it's an intuitive yeah. kind of well, you, can, you can plan to be open to it. There you go. Now that's the kind of thing right. that if if you're not comfortable with that or all four of us aren't ready for that to happen and embrace it, then someone on stage could pull back or get mm-hmm. uh, get scared or you right. know, not the, engage. The more organized we are in rehearsal, allows us to be more free on stage. Right. Yes, the uh, discipline uh, creates the freedom. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the expressive freedom. And I, what you said about being open to it, I think resonates with me as an audience member, because mm-hmm. I'll often go into a concert closed yeah right, right. yeah what well, yeah, about the pronunciation of yeah. pass you a glass right. of wine that's why right. yeah. right. yeah. 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 so, well, that is something that i mean i i think we as a performing group are aware of the many things that we could do that encourage the audience to be closed off okay. or also on that flip side the main things that we could do whether it's speaking from stage or how we present ourselves mm-hmm. or how we're dressing or, or pro- even programming, or programming. We, we think a yeah. lot about programming in terms of how are we opening up this world mm-hmm. for the audience and what kind of story are we bringing them through mm-hmm. That's right. true. All, all of those things factor into it. even sometimes people who really love classical mm-hmm. music I wouldn't say they're closed, but they show up to a performance with a really specific idea exactly. of what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think we sometimes have fun taking yeah. things that people expect will be a certain way and not necessarily doing it that way. Right. Performing a certain way, a certain piece, or certain combinations of pieces. Mm-hmm. That's fun for us, too. Yeah. And so you've got an all Beethoven concert mm-hmm. on Saturday the 9th. Yeah. It's right here. Saturday the 10th. Saturday the 10th. The 10th. Apologies. Today is the 6th. At 8 p.m. What's a 7 p.m. prelude? But it's not. You're not the prelude. No. No. So you've got an opener. We do. I don't know who it is. Yeah, Calista. 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 Trio Clara performs Beethoven's piano trio in C minor. Oh, of course. His favorite key, I believe. You've got a C minor. Yeah. Yeah. You do have a C minor. The only minor early quartet. Right, so we've got a mid, early, middle, late. That's right. I assume. Well, all the concerts follow. All the Beethoven, all the Beethoven concerts are following for that. this festival. Are doing that model, right? And do you know if this is uh, 
preemptive 250th cycle? I, I, Are they going to finish the cycle next summer? My understanding, yes, yeah. that there'll be three concerts this year and three concerts to finish the cycle right. okay. next summer. Right. Yeah. right. So we're getting the 250th kickoff. Yeah, in it's going to be good. And you know, it's December 17th, 2020. Mm, like right. it's the good. Right. Get 18 okay. months of Beethoven. Yeah. <laughs> We're kinda, I'm not complaining. He kind of deserves it. You know? He does. We're he playing does. the whole quartet cycle several times from now until okay. December of 2020. Right. There'll be a lot of Beethoven in our lives. Right. And so you've got the first of the final? No. The final Elvis, six are... The Elvis 135? Yeah. Uh, it's actually, it's the last it's one. It's the last. the last. Okay. I knew we had first and last. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, in this, this goal that's there. right. The Brentanos yeah. are playing 127 right, okay. for their concert. That's right. They're the night before on yeah. Friday, right. and yeah. we're yes. playing 135 right. on right. our concert. Right. So the final Beethoven's final Quartet. message yeah. from his silence. Right. right. It's the final yeah. complete yeah. work. Yeah. A lot of people talk about it's it's quite different than the other parts of the late quartets, and so a lot of people talk about. If he had lived longer, was this the beginning of a new I see. cycle or set? Right. Be, uh, because the, you have the earlys, the middles, and the lates. Mm-hmm. And this last one, Opus 135, is quite is very different. In many ways, it reverts back to a lot of the earlier classical style mm-hmm. that he used, um, but with a lot of the late techniques that he had already developed. So, right. But we'll never know. Yeah. Never know. And how do you approach Beethoven as a composer? Do you look at him... Just to the notes on the page, do you bring biography into it, or? I think I think we really enjoy, to a certain extent, having a concept of who he was throughout his life. Right. By the way, how he just changed. the notes on the page. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, only the notes on the page. But I, I think that's important. He's his personality isn't in music. I think. Yeah. 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 I think we we try to. I think all all musicians who play Beethoven probably try to get inside a little bit into his head mm-hmm. and I mean we can't imagine the life that he had but we right. can kind of you know he basically had this in- enormously wide range of emotions yeah as a person and and, and as as a musician so I think right. we try to tackle it from that mm-hmm. because you know Beethoven can come off intellectual but it's already right. there so I think mm-hmm. what we try to bring yeah. to it is is the emotional message mm-hmm because people can connect with that. Yeah, because he does have that enlightenment era that he grew up in. Yeah. And Bonn was kind of a little island of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, but then he's considered a romantic, like he starts the romantic right. era. But right. is it, or is it more the self-expression? Is Self-expression, more, I think, is yeah. probably, I mean, I think that's what he's credited with. Because the, the Ninth most. Symphony, that's straight enlightenment principle the, the fellowship oh, of all I well I mean the themes it's also of, self-expression yeah, yeah it's true I mean the, the ideas of the words maybe have a lot of enlightenment mm-hmm. in them but the fact that he was creating something for giant chorus for yeah. soloists huge right. orchestra with bassoon contra bassoon and piccolo yeah. it was like the biggest thing anyone had mm-hmm. ever created that's not enlightenment that's right out of like blowing the box open I with am here yeah right. with emotion and drama and excitement <laughs> and people did yeah, exactly. yeah. it feels good yeah. <laughs> well and the stories we have about him as a person i mean he flew off the handle on a mm-hmm. daily basis yelling yeah. and screaming yeah. he could be happier and more manic and crazy than anybody right. else um and i think it's a lot of the humor. music yeah it's such a humor too it's all in his music yeah it, it the sense of humor is 
it, I think maybe a good example that a lot of people could connect to is the Fifth Symphony, the Second Movement. It's this kind of very beautiful, elegant phrase, and then there's this little tag on the end. Right, a little something. Which, though, is the opening rhythm that's throughout the whole right. yeah. whole thing. And it's just like, it's like, I was like, okay, that's that's funny if you know yeah. uh, what he, uh, maybe what he's trying trying to do to the listener mm. there like you said you don't you try to surprise people sometimes with the way you there's a lot of surprises in his music for yeah. sure yeah and then some of them are rough and shocking and some of them are surprisingly beautiful or surprisingly mm-hmm. delicate or surprisingly graceful mm-hmm. yeah well and you can get in I, I know the ones that surprise me the most often are when we're in the thick of things and the overall character has been one of more angst or stuff like that and he'll put in these chord progressions where they can be the most beautiful major chord in the middle of that Mm -hmm. and that for us can change the texture of the overall character of that right which then leads to some surprise because uh some some quartets won't do that and some will Mm -hmm. and and that leads us more in depth to our own interpretation of it right which uh, for me, I'm always like, wait, what was that chord? Right. And and then we'll actually slow it down or play just the the, the chords, the progression that's happening, right? Just to hear it. And I mean, he's, you, it goes by so quickly mm-hmm. when you're actually playing it um, that and, and unless you have the the time to really slow it down, you you don't get to bring up those kinds of right. surprises and characters. Right. And be, do you play a lot of contemporary? Modern type music, or you stick more to the classics. You balance it. You balance yeah, it. Balance okay. it. I mean, we. I mean, we like a, a mm-hmm. lot of the music that's being written right now. Sure. I mean, we've got a bunch that we're doing this summer. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, and also composers, there are a lot of great voices out right now yeah. that should be heard and. It feels yeah, so like taste it. is changing a little bit back to include melody. Yeah. 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 Harmony. Yeah. 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 No, for so long, it's been rhythm, tone, color, and abstraction. And yeah. And a lot yeah. of abstraction. And, and everyone um, seemed like not scared. But if I write a melody, I don't know, it's like I lose my edge. Right. right. Um, and it seems as if there's been a little bit of a shift starting back toward including melody mm-hmm. in yeah. contemporary. Yeah. yeah, I know we're we're drawn to those composers right. in, the, in the pieces that we commission. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. we li- so that's pretty in- engaged with. Yeah, yeah. We we yeah. commission a piece about every. I mean, every year we try to so do one a year. Yeah, um, we play other new music as well, but the sure. commissioning usually happens once right. a year. Right. Our concert on Sunday. Following the Paul Bateman concert is mm-hmm. going to be two living okay. American female composers. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'll be playing one, uh, a short string quartet by Caroline Shaw and then another short string quartet by Gabriella Smith. Uh, both tuneful in some ways, but also very modern mm-hmm. um, and totally different from the Beethoven. Right. And yeah, I would right. say what's interesting about our commissioning, at least, and we haven't really talked about this recently, but our tendency is to look at composers recently who are bringing old with mm-hmm. new. Right. So both of these pieces on Sunday are using folk melodies but also very ancient themes and tunes and, sure. and lines and combining that with a new style of their own voice. Right. Now, another person we commission a lot from is uh, Kevin Putz. Okay. Who I would say actually his new piece for us is doing similar things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there seems to be a little bit of a trend maybe there as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a vast and rich history just kind of sitting there. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Waiting for anyone who wants, you know, to yeah. access it. That's right. Um, interesting, you, you talked about the, the women composers that you're, mm -hmm. you're playing. We, and the podcast, which is separate from the it printed interview. Right. My buddy and I just went on a rant about Amy Beach. Uh -huh. Oh, yes. <laughs> what was the rant about? Her 150th was 2018, 2017 or 2018. Right. Right. I didn't hear a peep. Right. Yeah. It's, it's I saw organizations with American composer mini festivals in the middle of their seasons. Yeah. In her 150th, right. no peace. Nothing, nothing Not even as an American. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it also coincided with uh, ironically enough, with the hashtag MeToo movement started mm -hmm. in oh. that year. Oh, yeah. So it could have been a wonderful, relevant time for right. classical music yeah. organizations, but it was, I'm afraid, a missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the bringing the feminine, or, I don't know if feminine is the right word, it's the loud word, but bringing these voices out is, uh, I find it fascinating because it is a different energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I was just ranting to someone recently that 2019 this year is Clara Schumann's 200th anniversary. Okay, and did not I know that. Did yeah. not see. You know, I just got a Bronx biography. I have seen it more. We're playing often it. This. <laughs> well, we're playing yeah, it. But yeah. I, um, the Schumann romances, Ben is playing here. He's playing here. Yeah. Um, okay. She wrote these beautiful uh, three romances for violin and piano. Ah, okay. And, um, I have seen more Clara, more Schumann, Clara Schumann this year than I have ever seen in my the trio got performed trio in Norfolk. in Norfolk. Right. So, yeah. but but it is it's a it's a movement, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we all need to take responsibility for that and, right. and move it forward. Well, and these fantastic voices. I mean, that's the thing is it already are both today and a hundred years, two hundred oh, years yeah. ago. There are great voices. Yeah, it's not is not really a need to unearth them or discover them. Right. It's just need a need to actually bring them forward as often as we bring. If you just do a simple Google process. search, yeah, right. You'd yeah. be surprised at what you find over the centuries. Yeah. Yeah. That is quality music. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. It may be with Amy Beach. I mean, I love her music. It might just be that I don't know. Contemporary audiences don't find it edgy enough. Edgy enough. Yeah, that could or be. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I think it's great and wonderful. Wonderful music. Yeah. Um, I also think of uh, Rebecca Clark, mm -hmm. who's yeah. also a wonderful composer. Mm -hmm. Sure, great viol. Wrote great viol yeah. <laughs> But also, she wrote some great orchestra so pieces and uh, lots yeah. of. Lots of other works too, but people tend not to. Right. Well, there's play a branding that. that goes with it as well. I'm yeah. Afraid. Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You know, um, we're going to get Brahms' Second Symphony four or five times for every Bon Williams second or right. Borodin second. Right. And those are fantastic yeah, symphonies. Right. right. Um, but we're going to get Brahms. Yeah. So it's the Brahms second. Right. But it's like, I believe there is an audience development macro mm -hmm. that has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that we get away from those established composer brands right. a little bit. Right, the name recognizability. Yeah. Recognizability. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's tricky as a programmer because, um, you know, different elements are causing you. I know for us, we book two to three years hmm. ahead. Right. So it's it's challenging to have, depending on the size of the organization, or the different things that you're balancing, and to be able to pivot. 
mm-hmm. or to to anticipate what is relevant and to maintain the integrity of your own voice and what you're building for your audience. Right. So it's, I mean, we work a lot with presenters in discussing repertoire and trying to bring our voice and medium to that. Mm-hmm. But then also the, they have a whole multitude of things that they have to balance. Right. So I think I also have empathy. That's true. Yeah. For, for yeah. all that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. changes from city to city. Yeah. Right. Some That's cities true. are more adventurous yeah. in their, just their audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in each series, even inside of a city, I mean, I think about the different places we play in New York, mm-hmm. yeah. right. and the different right. audiences that each one of them have built, or even a city right. like Seattle, which has a few chamber music societies there. Uh, the Emerald City is very different than the uh-huh. Seattle Chamber Music Society, right. and, and the university then the university series, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and audiences change over time. I mean, I think in an ideal world, a presenter and the groups they bring create a continuous experience over a season, five seasons, ten seasons with their audience, hopefully creating people that feel ownership of what's happening on stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for them to learn something about the music or be feel closer to the music or expand their tastes right. over time, I mean, that takes investment it on does. the part of the presenter and on the part of the audience. Yeah. Like it's worth it. But I think in the ideal world, that actually happens. That you know, you're getting to know this really complex genre with all kinds of different people yeah. in it and different musics in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's literally eternal. Yeah, it is. You never can be done yeah. with it. Yeah. Even if you're coming back to Beethoven, that you've heard this piece for the tenth time, right. there's something in a different group's performance or the same group's performance right. twenty years later. And whatever you, you have for breakfast else. as well, you're not that's the same. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, discovery. I mean, that's that's the word that we talked about earlier, and it comes back to that, like creating the constant feeling of discovery for the audience yeah. without making them feel like you're shocking them or they don't have anything right. to hold on to. Right. Right. I mean, alienating them. Yeah. So they're. Yeah. So where did you did you all meet in one spot? Have you been kind of pieced together over time? What's the what's the origin story here? So the group started uh, at Oberlin College. Okay. Um, in 1995, Daniel and I were both students there, mm-hmm. uh, and originally the group was for Oberlin students. Okay. Um, we played together for about a year or so, and like went some did some competitions and did well. Um, but two of the members at slightly different times decided they had aspirations that were away from Oberlin. Okay. So one of them wanted to go to Juilliard and study with Dorothy DeLay. One of them wanted to go to Curtis. Um, and we were in a funny situation because we actually had some work. We had some concerts and we had like, nice. we had the beginning, like the crumbs of a, of a career. Yeah. Um, so we, um, that's when John joined the group, about a year into it. So he's been in the group 24 okay. years now. Yeah, almost 24 um, And the second violinist was, is Daniel's wife. Okay. Um, so okay. she played in the group for 16 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Until their children got of age that somebody needed to not be on the road all the sure. time. And then Will's been with us now for seven years, right? Eight. Eight, Eight. Eight years. He, he has a, a very serious uh, quartet resume yeah two other very well-known okay. professional quartets he right. played in right so yeah. yeah and that's you know 95 to have to work as a young quartet that's you know there's no soundcloud there's right. no youtube no. Right. there's no Jay, sure. put your stuff out there it was a different time back then yeah it's sure. just I mean, you were word, hustling. Of, word of mouth yeah 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 mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but it, it was it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was as Eddie Quartet career is in the early years. It was a real struggle, <laughs> but sure. but but it was. I mean, I think we all had the right. We were all united in our love for the repertoire and mm-hmm. our love for the the medium and playing string quartets and trying to just play them at as the highest level we possibly right. could. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we all had the drive. I think we all had that feeling. Sure. That even though there were plenty of quartets already playing out there. Mm-hmm that we had a voice that we wanted to be heard. Right. So, I mean, it was it was challenging. It was difficult. And, and, you know, yeah. Times where things seemed to be going great. And times where, like, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, we're you know, playing for how much? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. you know. And how do you, I mean, that's, that is a real thing. There's so many yeah. quartets out there. Yeah, and maybe more than there's a, not as many as used to be, like you could count on Tokyo String Quartet, kind of everyone had heard of them. Yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah. Legacy. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of. Uh, I, I can name you the. I do think that has changed a little bit. I think uh, some of it is is the recording industry and the kind of monolithic right. companies pressing records and CDs in the '60s, '70s, and '80s sort of created. Uh, or were part of certain groups really mm-hmm. being worldwide names because right. they had these groups invested in pushing their images and their music out mm-hmm. there, which is great. And of course, that doesn't exist really right. now. Yeah. Uh, it's more about creating, most people are more self published or self recorded. Most people, yeah. in, in general, now. Yeah. Um, that opens up the doors to people doing all kinds of different things. There's a lot mm-hmm. of different quartets now. For, for decades, I mean, literally decades, there was, there were. There were only a few professional touring quartets. That's right. true. And they were the ones: the Juilliard, mm-hmm. Cleveland Quartet, right. Tokyo Quartet, uh, the Vermeer Quartet, Guarneri. They they were the major quartets, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And I you, think I can name the labels they were on. Even mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's right. true. They each were on their own label. Yeah. And uh, I mean, what we did see as we made it through the '90s. Um, and then, lastly, the Tokyo Quartet retiring mm-hmm. four. One of them will be here, though. Yeah. Clive Greensmith. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is in the '90s. It, it, we started to get more younger quartets and the ability to really craft a career. Mm-hmm. So the industry changed in that quartets were able to establish all sorts of different types of careers. Right. And, and so, let's say now we're actually in a different form of golden period of quartet mm-hmm. because right. there's so many different you ask about modern music I mean there are quartets like the Jack Quartet who only play modern music yeah. mm-hmm. which before like you had the Kronos establish that and the Ardini right. Quartet and that was maybe about it yeah. mm-hmm. um, but now you have maybe 50 to 100 quartets making a living supporting families right. serving communities and really establishing audiences commissioning composers so there's yeah. sort of a golden age of new music being created and that's one idiom of the quartet worlds mm-hmm. um, and it'll be really curious and exciting to see how it all evolves uh, we also have quartets that really are solely engaged in the community and right. they they are serving and giving lessons and coachings and going into the public schools and mm-hmm. playing concerts for the underserved community and really bringing those communities together right um, and, and that in itself is a full-time career, 
whereas that used to be something you did as part of your career. Right. And so there's so many different avenues and abilities to craft the career that really suits your quartet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm curious in 20 years what the conversation will be. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. We deal with yeah. a lot of young quartets in trying to help them shape their career, and it's, it's, it's really fantastic to sort of identify what they want to do and then figure out how they can do that. Yeah, there's no one really telling you no anymore. <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. You know, the internet doesn't yeah. say no. No, no that's no. true. And, and then, the wait, flip side is... There's some bad stuff out there. Sometimes the internet should say yeah. no. <laughs> the flip side is that if you're looking for you know someone to sort of make it happen for you, yeah. That doesn't really happen mm -hmm. so much. It's not like this is okay. That's not do what we want. We'll promote you. Right. Um, there's you know there's an opportunity to make anything happen as long as you're willing to make it happen yourself yeah. as a musician or an artist. Right. Right. And then yeah that that, that once you believe in your group, I guess it, it becomes. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you have artists, I mean, who make their career imprint on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then they go out and tour right. on the road, right. you know. And that, I mean, that's just a whole that's new cool. business. That thing is yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I have a question: an underrated string quartet composition mm. that we should listen to. Oh wow! Mm. <laughs> that, that deserves more prestige. How's that? It could well, be. I mean, I think of our love of Dvorak quartets, mm. which don't get played a lot. They're wonderful pieces. Well, the American is. Yeah, the American's well, played a lot. But some of the other but ones. Should the A flat quartet that's good yeah, play, huh? Yeah. G major. Even the first mm -hmm. quartet. Mm -hmm. The early, the E flat. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. With Philip Glass. There's a. Or, there's a. That's there's a great. E flat. <laughs> that's. They get played a lot. Yeah. I think the E flat Schubert quartet that we do the uh -huh. early is a piece that doesn't get played very much. Yeah, number five is Deutsch 87. Tunes are incredible. That's a lovely piece. Yeah. And totally different from late Schubert. I mean, it's it's totally different. Pro Prokofiev quartets. They I've don't never listened to one at all, and we've always loved them. And we've played them yeah, both, that's, that's, but that's interesting. Yeah, they don't get programmed very often. It's right. funny. Yeah. We we just played a movement of a Glier string quartet, Reinhold mm -hmm. Glier, and I was we just programmed it on kind of a salon program that we're doing, and uh, that was one that all the audience were like, "Who is this guy? I like that piece. Yeah. This is yeah. really great." Yeah. Why don't I know who this person is? People like, really liked it. Well, yeah. Well. I mean, just not to even know the composer, not let alone the quartet, but never heard of them. But Glier, yeah. Know who Glier is is yeah. kind of surprising. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I can't think of other like big pieces that they would have seen at the symphony or, no, or not offered a, by yeah, him. Yeah, but, but, but there's so much music. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. Mm. The two Janáček quartets. Oh, yeah, the Janáček. Those are masterpieces. Yeah, those are great, great pieces. So that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, we could get into some like the weeds with right. this and start talking sure. about like oh, the you know Anton Rubinstein and oh right. you know, the, yeah like, mm -hmm. yeah it's great. our own sort of personal what sport no well Ariaga Ariaga oh Ariaga wrote Ariaga. that's true Did you know the composer Ariaga 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 
the Spanish Mozart. The Spanish Mozart. He died in his early 20s. Only managed to get a couple of works out, but I think there are three quartets. Three quartets. Really good. And they're lovely. I think his total output is like 10 pieces. Wow. They're lovely And they're interesting. They do have this kind of Mozart style to them, but they're different. They have a Spanish thing to them. There you go. That no other composer of that period would have. And they're cool pieces. The other one we love is Gina Stare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's three quartets okay. of his that we we've often played that we love, but mm-hmm. they don't get played very often. Especially the no. third one doesn't. Yeah. Well, doesn't get played very often. So it's soprano, so yeah. that oh, complicates yeah. matters a little it bit. Does. Yeah. And it's abstract. <laughs> yeah. It's really it's abstract. Very abstract. And the, each of those quartets cool. really defines part of his life. Like yes. it's very oh, three right. very different styles. There. Huh. And uh, yeah, they're great. They're great. And then we'll we'll close with this one. I like this one a lot. And it's putting you on the spot a little bit, um, but you can have a, you can have a, you can have a do over. You can have a do over. So I'm gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> One word that currently describes your relationship to music, and and why. Grateful. Grateful. Okay. Yeah. For me, um, I think just currently, i I can see how much music has given myself. Uh, in my own life, but also the impact of the lives that circle out from that, whether it's audiences or colleagues on stage or students, young quartets, listeners on, on the radio or readers in, in print. I'm just so grateful for, for what it has been able to really move in, in, in the world that I've been able to exist in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Curious. Who was? Curious. Curious. Okay. Um, I think because we're we're getting to that place in our career where we're we are playing Beethoven quartets for the umpteenth time, mm-hmm. but the four of us just seem to find a way to kind of <laughs> stay curious about the music, mm-hmm. even though it's stuff that we've played, and 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 then curious about the things that we haven't played, and and uh, he stole mine. Oh no, oh. <laughs> that's exactly the word I was thinking too. Okay, for those curious. very reasons. Yeah, yeah. right. Right now, I I. I it sounds kind of silly, but joy. Absolutely. I that that's terrible. I just, how dare you have joy in your music? But music <laughs> thinking is not about joy. Joy, at all. no. Well, even, even you need even, to practice more. Well, it's suffering. <laughs> suffering. Well, we just yeah, we just rehearsed. We just rehearsed Beethoven Fifth Nine Two, and a lot of it is kind of so stressful and, stu- and, stu- and full of suffering. But there's a sort of joy in bringing that emotion uh-huh. out, which I I, I enjoy making mm-hmm. people in the audience suffer. <laughs> as well as making them happy that's but, not where I thought you were going to go with it no. at the end of that sentence right. I enjoy making people suffer suffer but yeah. you know, but that's it's it's the enjoy, maybe enjoyment too the enjoyment of just making something happen emotionally that's so much mm. more like you mentioned as the notes on the page or right. what we're doing with the instruments is some, this experience that sort of takes people someplace totally else right and I just I find that just very joyful and exciting mm-hmm. So we've got grateful, curious, and joyful, and I mean it's like a Tony Robbins <laughs> type thing. But it's it's what I I'm my I'm particularly trying to get across to audiences is that it's these are the yeah. these are the reasons these are why oh, yeah. music's great. It sounds cliche. I'm grateful. Oh, right. are you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's true. When it's true, it's true. And then. It comes across, and I, I just, I, I want the audience to not feel that distance mm-hmm. from the performers. Yeah. But I think the, the trick for that is how you stir that 
in each of the listeners mm -hmm. on their own. You can't go and tell them to be curious or tell right. them to be joyful right. about it. Right. Find the little trigger or the little, you know, the little hot point where oh, the the gratefulness or the curiosity comes mm -hmm. out. Right. And that's where I mean that's I think that's when when we see audiences suddenly like they light up. Right. They start to kind of they find their own qualities inside those words. You know, their right. curiosity is gonna be different than our curiosity. Right. They might not. They don't play instruments, but yeah, they might look into who Clear was. Right. <laughs> well, and, and I think what you're saying is so wonderful because each person in the audience could be curious about something totally different. Totally different. What yeah. brings them joy in the music, right. the same performance, same music, mm -hmm. can be totally different. And that's actually what I think is most amazing about this art is that really anyone can find themselves in it if right. you take the time to really listen. And we can reach anyone with it, whether they speak English yeah. or not, or speak Absolutely. German right. or yeah. None not. Of, yeah. Yeah. Gender doesn't matter. Tchaikovsky lived under the czars. We don't know what that's right, like. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, sexuality doesn't matter. Right. Social economic status right. doesn't matter. And we're not trying to make yeah. everyone feel the same and think right. the same and enjoy the same. It's actually allowing people to find themselves. Yeah, this mm -hmm. is, I mean, this is probably the thing that we, that still, at least for me, it still fascinates us about our relationship to who we're playing for. I mean, we're going to be going to a correctional facility mm -hmm. that's in, right in the winter right and there's something just cool about we're bringing a middle beethoven to people that may have never even heard any beethoven let right. alone a string quartet playing beethoven in front of them <clears throat> yeah and you know, we've done this kind of work before but that that to me is always like the way you can touch people that way mm -hmm. like you're saying they have they each have their own story in the room um, right. some of the stories, you know, brought them to unfortunate circumstances. But yeah. mm -hmm. in that moment, in that hour, you're sharing something mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. you know, and, and yeah. none of us know each other or anything like that. And that's yeah, and that could be cool. one of the um, happy legacy effects of the monolithic recording industry being dissolved yeah, a little right. bit. Is it becomes more about the live experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think with chamber music, it always is though. I don't think the recordings. Yeah. The, there's something. The recordings can be great, but there's something one-dimensional or two-dimensional yeah, about them. It's flat. Yeah, yeah. it's flat. And, and just ex being able to actually see us as we play as well as hear us yeah. and feel the energy, mm -hmm. you know, and we are playing for the people who are there. It's not right. like we're doing it for ourselves and blocking them out. Right. Like they change how we feel the music in that moment, yeah. everybody in the room with us. There's no buzz in the room when you're watching YouTube. <laughs> no. That's true. For, for the buzz of your speaker. Yeah, that's true. Air yeah, that's true. Yeah. Your, your electric yeah. bill going up as you're watching yeah. videos. There's a lot of people who have said to me over the years how much they dislike the Bartok quartets. Um, which for us are yeah. solid core right. repertoire, right. amazing pieces, and then they'll come and see a Bartok quartet performed, and they'll fall in love instantly mm -hmm. because you can witness and experience it in on on your level of whatever right. you're curious or interested in, and all of a sudden that quartet comes to life. Yeah. But you hear it on a recording, and depending on again your access points, mm -hmm. uh, you may or may not enjoy it. And um, I mean, it's it's hard to say that about Beethoven because he has such a, a brand and a legacy right. already. Uh, but Bartok, you would think, has that same thing. Yeah. But um, so yeah, the, the live experience, and I think chamber music has always been about that experience. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. 
So I think chamber music and opera mm-hmm. are the two that mm-hmm. are vastly different yeah. live. Yeah. Yes. You know, it, the symphonic, it's a little more homogenous. Sort of in, yeah. in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, just listening to a, an audio recording of an opera or even seeing a video of an right. opera on yeah. your screen, it's not the same as being in that space with yeah. a huge audience and right. seeing and feeling the voice stage. some voices are yeah. oh yeah so big right mm-hmm. that you feel like yeah. like it's coming out of you right yeah. it's, mm-hmm. yeah. that's pretty it's incredible connection that's true yeah. yeah so what's after this and then we'll we'll wrap it up we head up to a festival that we love where we're the uh, the quartet in residence um, it's called the Orcas Island Chamber Music Oh, yeah. Festival. I know. Yeah. You know Aloysia. Aloysia. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Of course, because she's a yeah. character. Yeah, so we'll be up there for a week, and then we'll head uh, across the country again to uh, Cape Cod, uh, to the Cape Cod Chamber Music Festival. Okay. Which is uh, John and John, John Nakamatsu, and uh, John Manassi. John Manassi. They run a festival out there. So we'll finish up our, our summer season uh, with a, a week out there. Mm-hmm. And then do you get a break, or...? A, a, a short break, one. A short break. one. <laughs> we get a day. And then our university starts, the University of Texas. Ah, yeah. okay, so you're a rest. It literally starts like the day after we get back. There you go. <laughs>